want to hear more about life from a Catholic perspective, Ave Spotlight is a new weekly podcast where you'll hear from special guests about culture, current events, and all things Catholic. Walk away with a better understanding of your faith and how to live it in the world today. Check it out at AveMariaPress.com and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. According to one recent study, fully half of the 20-somethings who were raised Catholic no longer practice the Catholic faith or name themselves as Catholic at all. Half. That's troubling, isn't it? Other recent studies have tracked the rates of disaffiliation from the church and tried to identify some of the root causes of that disaffiliation. It's important for us to understand why young people are leaving the church, but it is perhaps even more important to show young adults a church they want to be a part of, that they desire to be a part of, that they are invested in, and which is worthy of their investment and even their sacrifice. Nicole Perone is working toward that end. She is the national coordinator of ESTEAM, a faith-based leadership program for Catholic students at colleges and universities across the United States. She joins me to talk about the challenges and opportunities of forming young adults for lifelong affiliation in the church, the importance of mentoring and of developing leaders, and how we move together from being satisfied with cozy religious experiences toward becoming fully committed, courageous Catholics. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life in collaboration with Spoke Street Media Network. Nicole Perone, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Nicole, you're dedicated full-time now to helping young adults remain engaged in the Catholic Church and to provide leadership, really, for the Church. I was wondering if you could start off by helping to describe for us what you see as the current state of Catholic young adults' affiliation with the Church, and maybe stretch that out a little bit to tell us a bit about how you would like to see that affiliation in the future. Absolutely. I think the state of young adult affiliation is something that we've been talking about for quite some time in the Catholic Church, at least for the last five years that I've been cognizant of it. And it's an interesting question that resurfaces now in this COVID reality as we think about what affiliation even looks like Mm -hmm. with folks, you know, worshiping virtually for extended periods of time, being able to kind of virtually parish hop and plug into communities that are feeding them and engaging them in different ways. The question of affiliation, I think, then kind of takes a different turn. Now, pre-COVID, I probably would have made the case that affiliation isn't doing great, for lack of a better term. You know, young adults are sort of disaffiliating or just rather not even making it a priority, not even thinking about the life of the church. It just wasn't registering. And I think in this reality, it's coming back to that in a new light. I think young adults are in a lot of ways, not feeling that the church is particularly relevant to them, that there is no space for them in the church, thus there is no space for the church in their lives, in their orbit. But the flip side of that is I think there are a lot of communities of faith that have 
in this time, in this reality, really endeavored to make space for everybody, whether it was virtually or safe ways in person. And so we're arising to new questions about what it truly means to affiliate with community, what it means to be involved in community, and what life is going to look like, especially in parishes post-COVID. So my hope for that, what I'd love to see in my dream world, would be for every community to have a culture of welcoming young adults that is woven into the fabric of the community as opposed to perhaps maybe one ministry or another. And of course, my crazy dream, Lenny, my big, you know, hairy audacious goal, as they (laughs) say, is to have a young adult on every single parish council, every single finance council, every single board in the country. So once I once I accomplish that, I can retire. Just wait <laughs> on my pension. <laughs> and the pension will be large. I'm sure of it. It'll be all set. <laughs> yes, working for the church, you can count on that. That's right. That's right. So, you know, let me follow up on something that you said just a, a minute ago. You were saying that, let's say in the, the pre-COVID state, when we're asking mm-hmm. these questions about young adult affiliation, that you said, you know, the state of things was probably not great right then and and that many young adults are just not making their participation in the life of the church a priority. Now, the way that you said that makes me think, well, maybe we spend a lot of time thinking about the the sort of points that young adults might be rejecting and their sort of gripes against the church, but you seem to lead us in a different direction. They're just not making it a priority. So what are they making priorities or why isn't this being prioritized? You know, I think that's a good question because you're right. We belabor the points of divergence, mm-hmm. right? We spend a lot of time there and sort of beating that instead of looking so critically at where are the places where we converge? Where are the places that the church can be the nerve exposed to the pain of young people or are really attuned to the needs of young people? And until we focus our energies on that, I think it's reasonable in some places, in some contexts where young adults have been hurt or neglected by the church that they don't make it a priority. I do see, at least I'll speak anecdotally, and of course, there's there's tons of data to talk about this, whether we're looking at, you know, Christian Smith or Springtide or St. Mary's, you know, there's lots of data to this point, but young adults are making a priority the other places where they feel called and welcomed and included in community. They are making matters of justice a priority. And there is a greater dawning, at least I've noticed, of spirituality in in different facets among young adults. And so they are making that sense of care of the spirit a priority. Mm. And so when I talk to my fellow young adults, because not only am I ministering to young adults, I am one myself, I see that sense of the priority of care for the spirit and wanting to figure out their place in this world, who they're meant to be, how they can continue to kind of fill up that well. And I I just want to say out loud sometimes, the church has the tools for that. Mm -hmm. We know how to do that. We got that one. What are some of the ways that you see young adults actually attempting to care for the spirit, maybe outside of the church? I think there's a lot of, again, points of convergence or overlap with what we know to be part of the Christian tradition, right? I hear a lot about sort of practices of silence and meditation. Of course, all I can think of are, wow, the Desert Fathers and religious orders were way ahead of their time on that one. That that craving of silence and, and that being attentive in those moments of silence and meditation, especially in sort of our overly loud world and our overly digital world right now where everything is virtual, everything is Zoom. 
I hear a lot about, and I, you know, I don't want this to take a turn into the into the new age and sort of debating that, <laughs> but because that's a whole other podcast for another time. <laughs> but there definitely is a sense of the universe and vibes and energy, and of course, I hear that. And I'm, I want to whisper, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Yeah. But you know, so you start to see that there is. If I think, if you boil that down, though, if you disseminate that, there is a craving for the real, there is a craving for being connected and attuned to something bigger than you, something beyond your own little orbit, your own little world. And the church has an opportunity, I think, and all of the tools to get in there with young adults and to say, we have all of these resources, we have all of these capacities to help walk that road with you of figuring out how to care for your spirit, how to enter into periods of silence, how to be connected to something bigger than yourself. And I I would be so disheartened if we missed that opportunity because it's something young adults and the generations to follow are looking for, you know, and um, we just we just have that opportunity. And that from that attentiveness, Two young adults will stem their engagement with with us as church and making us a priority once we make them as much of a priority as we want to be for them. Yeah. You know, you you touched on another interesting point a little while ago in terms of, you know, the the current moment, or at least for these these past year or so, where you have the suspension of the standard operating procedures of how churches, parishes, other Catholic communities would have, you know, gone about things. And because you can't just do things the way that you have been doing them. There's been some forced reinvention, perhaps, you know, asking the questions, if we are going to have something like community, if there is going to be some kind of prayerful connection, we've got to find the ways to make that happen. So what have you seen from various communities as they've endeavored to make this space for people to gather together in faith and maybe especially for for young adults? What are some of the things that you've seen? I think there's so many parishes that I just can't commend our clergy and our pastoral staff out there enough for how innovative, forward-thinking, outside-of-the-box, creative, prayerful they have been in responding to COVID. So some things that I think have worked really well are, especially in terms of our clergy, but certainly pastoral staff can do this as well, the personal connection that comes from doing a Facebook Live, a cooking lesson, a Q&A, those sorts of things that remove the barrier solely of seeing someone at worship and no other time. Mm -hmm. But getting to know clergy and pastoral staff as people in the virtual realm did a lot. The parishes that also made the time and energy to individually reach out by phone or by email to parishioners and stay connected with them, as opposed to waiting for them to come to the parish for live stream mass or registering for mass. That sense of going out, I think, is as I said earlier, proof positive of the church making the people a priority instead of expecting it to be vice versa. Another great example that I personally am very proud of because the priest in question is a friend as well as at our parish as a parochial vicar, but our friend Father David, when he was sort of perplexed that the church was open again and, and where were the folks, he started to go out in the community. And so he reached out to folks and said, you know, if you don't feel comfortable coming to Mass, I'll bring math to your block. And so he cultivated these senses of community where, you know, a few houses could all communicate with each other. He would set a time and come and set up math in the middle of the street in the town where he ministers. 
and folks would come out with their lawn chairs and he would bring the Eucharist to the people. And it was really a profoundly moving thing to witness as a friend, to witness as a, a minister in the church. And as a parishioner, to see that this priest was so committed to going to where the people were instead of waiting for them to come to him, that he was willing to literally go to their house, right on their block, on their front lawn. And I just think all of those are examples of, as I said, the church making the people a priority and figuring out how to go to where they were. And that reflects, Lenny, in my opinion, the sense that the church can be authentic and attentive to the needs of the people, which is what young adults are craving. Mm This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Nicole Perrone, National Coordinator of Esteem, a faith-based leadership formation program for Catholic students at colleges and universities across the United States. I love the way you put that. I think you're speaking specifically about, let's say, clergy or other pastoral staff, but maybe we can think about this more broadly. You said, you know, we're used to seeing these folks at worship, but at no other time. It seems to me that this is perhaps part of the problem of the understanding of Catholic community, especially as based in parishes, that we count community according to when we come together for the official church services, right, the official church movements, but it isn't necessarily being translated into other forms of connection or it's not being prepared for perhaps by other forms of connection. Clearly, the sacrifice of the Eucharist is the center of the community, but how important do you find that to be, especially maybe now for young adults, but not just for young adults, to actually have some form of a center of life at the parish where you know each other and you're known by other people? Oh, I I think that is paramount, truly, Lenny. I think that when we worship, any of us, right, certainly not just young adults, any of us, when we come to worship, we want to feel known. We want to feel loved. We want to feel welcomed. We want to avoid any sense of judgment. And of course, I've heard those stories. I've lived those stories. I'm sure you have too. And I'm sure anyone listening to this has had a few in their pocket as well of moments of entry into a community, especially a worship community where you might not have been made to feel as welcome or included or valued as part of the community. I do think that even in this COVID time, you know, with no envy, with no sense of how soon we'll be able to gather fully safely back in worship, maybe it's my natural inclination as someone who had a past life in in liturgy and thinking Hmm. about parish life, but I'm reticent to give that up. Even, Even in this reality, I'm reticent to give up coming to a place and gathering together But I think what will set that apart and what will maintain that is the momentum of staying connected virtually of the calls, of the emails, of the flock notes, if that's your speed, of the social media presence. All those things will continue to keep that center of gravity for faith life. And again, the parishes that are continuing to find ways to offer pastoral ministries and spiritual nourishment over those avenues, I truly believe will not have as difficult a time gathering people back in person. That's a big question I've been hearing with parish ministers is, you know, what's going to happen when we can open up again, totally safely, right? Let's take this to its logical conclusion. Are people going to come back? And I believe that if we've cared for them along the way, they will. But if we've assumed they'll just magically come back when the doors open and when the suspended obligation is reinstated, I think we're holding on to a false hope there. 
I think you're absolutely right there. I mean, in, in some ways, we're talking about which direction the energy is going in. And it would seem that, and we may not even in our parishes be aware of this, that we might be in a position of just waiting for the energy to come our way, that people will actually make the movement towards us when conditions allow for it. But what you're saying seems so critically important that the reason they would actually respond by coming back is because you've made the investment you've made you've exerted the energy to go towards them especially during this time and it builds up that bond of that bond of communion right like it actually creates the bond that will allow people to go in both directions towards the parish because the parish has come towards you so i love what you're talking about there nicole it seems so right on point and i wonder if this this links a little bit to some of the work that you've started to do now because in December of 2020, you started in this role as the national coordinator of the STEAM program, which, for those who don't know, comes out of a partnership between Church Leadership Roundtable and St. Thomas More Catholic Chapel and Center at Yale, your alma mater. So could you tell us a little bit about the mission of STEAM and what, through STEAM, you're hoping to provide for Catholic college students and university students across the country? Absolutely. I think your opening point there, Lenny, is I think very prescient because it is all about relationship, whether it's a relationship between the parish and those who are, you know, at home during this time of COVID or whether it's between young adults and the church, everything comes down to relationship and and doing things the way Jesus did, not sitting in the temple waiting for them to come to us, but going out. And so that's where I see most of the great fruit from esteem stems from the relationships, the, the gentle cultivation of relationships that happens in esteem. So the, the premise of esteem is that we engage young adults who are exhibiting leadership skills and leadership potential in their college campus ministry settings, really equip them with ecclesial confidence and a sense of their baptismal responsibility so that when they enter into life post-grad, which can be such a challenging transition after a campus ministry or you know worship setting on a college campus, they're equipped to be not only engaged members of the parish, but to enter into leadership at the parish. Going back to my crazy goal of having a young adult on every parish council, I see it as, and I believe the theme sees it as not simply enough to, you know, have cultivated a strong personal faith, which is very important. I'm not telling that short, but that you are able to do something more with it. It's that sense, I think, of to point to my graduate education, the modest, always seeking the more. Mm-hmm. And where we do that with the theme is not to focus too heavily on a basic catechetical model because sort of the baseline expectation of a theme is that young adults who participate are upperclassmen, you know, potentially rising seniors who have been engaged in their faith life the last three years at their university setting. So something has already taken root there. And we want to just feed that, nourish that, and prepare them for life post-grad. I'm sure that folks listening to this who were involved in a college campus ministry setting know this reality well. I know I did, where you have a really fabulous community on campus. You are so fed in this place that is vibrant and joyful, and young adults are participating in it. And then you go wherever you land next after graduation and kind of look around and say, what do I do now? <laughs> where do I go? Yeah. How, where's the space for me? And so a theme is helping to not only bridge that gap, but then take it to the next level in parish life afterwards. 
So before you started working and really leading Esteem, you yourself, as you were a graduate student, were part of the Esteem program. So what was important for you when you were on the other end of this kind of outreach and formation? (laughs) Yep, I have seen both sides of the coin, (laughs) and both sides are great. (laughs) For me, when I was participating in Esteem, you're absolutely right. I was a grad student at Yale, and St. Thomas More was gracious enough, even though it's more designed for undergrads, to say, hey, come on in, check this out. I think it would be something that would be really good for you, which was very wise because I was a graduate student sort of figuring out my vocation. You know, what, what was I doing? Who was God really calling me to be? And so while I found the curriculum to be really intellectually formative, the relationship that was personally very formative for me was the mentoring component. Mm. And that is a hallmark of the esteem experience. Each student is paired with a mentor in the faith community in some capacity. So could be an alum of that institution, could be someone who worships at that university parish or campus ministry setting, could be a, a Catholic faculty or staff person at the university, but is paired with someone who ideally has something in common with them and can help them kind of navigate a life of faith and really accompany them. So esteem made accompaniment a pillar of the experience, you know, even before it was kind of this this big theme in the life of the church. So I'm, I'm glad esteem was on the cutting edge of that. <laughs> I think it's really important. And so having a mentor for me was so important to have someone that I could text or call or meet up with as I was grappling with spiritual questions, questions of the church, figuring out my own identity as a young Catholic woman, figuring out what comes next, having someone who knew me, saw me, valued me, and was willing to walk with me was invaluable in my vocational discernment. And I believe that relationship is something that every young adult could benefit from because it's that connectedness. It connects you back to a community, it connects you back to a person. And it's the best foot forward of our Christian identity. Hmm. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. My guest is Nicole Perrone, National Coordinator of Esteem, a faith-based leadership formation program for Catholic students at colleges and universities across the U.S. Nicole, several years ago, I wanted to ask you about this too. Like several years ago, you were selected as one of, I think, three young adults from the United States to participate in the pre-synod gathering that Pope Francis hosted at the Vatican. So even as you were talking a moment ago about the mentoring and the importance of accompaniment, which Esteem has been valuing for years and years, this really started to take off um, from Pope Francis's leadership with the Synod on Young People, the Faith, and Vocational Discernment. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that experience was like and how your conversations and your work in that pre-synod gathering maybe informed your own vision for forming young people for the Christian Catholic life. Yep, you caught me. I I was at the (laughs) (laughs) pre-synod. And I got to talk about it right before I went at the McGrath gathering that March. So all roads lead back to Notre Dame. Here we go. As we all knew. Anyone listening to this surely knew that. All roads lead back to South Bend. So being part of the pre-synod was, was very special. There was a small cohort from the United States, folks from across the country. And we were part of the 300 young adults from all around the world who gathered at the Vatican. The way that the process went was a very interesting peek into church life, into the way the Vatican functions. <laughs> and sometimes doesn't, let's be honest, how it, how the Vatican <laughs> functions and sometimes doesn't, but yes. <laughs> the machinations were worth noting for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you know, especially coming from sort of a Western context, from the U.S. context, it is an exercise in spiritual patience, for sure. <laughs> you know, the, the U.S. cohorts, like, trying to keep the trains running on time, can't figure out why everything is behind, you right. know, and, it's a, you know, it's a lot of eating, it's a lot of grace, it's a lot of conversation. So it's, it's a good spiritual practice for, for a type A, I can assure you of that. But what I liked about the process very much was the foreshadowing of how much Pope Francis was going to point towards synodality, which he had done certainly quite a bit before that, but now even more as we look toward a synod on synodality. The sense of how a process can happen, ensuring that the right voices are at the table, that voices on the margins are being heard, a consideration of relationship, again, everything kind of going back to relationship, in order to make progress or to grow or to come up with a roadmap. I found the entire experience to be very formative in that way. Being on the writing committee of the final document was also an exercise in patience because there was sort of a way the Vatican wanted the process to go and a way the writing committee wanted the process to go. And it worked out really beautifully, I think, because we were able to facilitate conversations between these 300 young people from all around the world who might, at least I thought, my experience as a Catholic young woman in the United States was pretty pretty eye-opening. And then you're talking to young adults from parts of Asia or from the continent of Africa or from Eastern Europe. And you're like, wow, <laughs> my problems are very different from your problems. Your problems <laughs> are very different from my problems. Your joys and hopes and mine can be very different. So I think we worked really hard to bring together a final document that would express the breadth and depth of the lived experience of young adults and highlight really strongly the places we have in common, our desires, the things we need the church to support us in and walk alongside us in journeying towards. It was a really special experience. I do feel having read Cretus Vivi a number of times, I feel like the final papal document that came from the whole synodal experience really did reflect the reality of young adults around the world. Very nice. We have just a minute or so left, but I want to bring up, you know, you and I were chatting a couple of days ago and you said something, you said a number of things that I just love, but one thing that I wrote down that I just love that you said, I, I wanted to ask you about it now. You said <laughs> the faith is beyond just the nice things that happen to you. Tell us a little bit mm -hmm. about that. The faith is beyond just the nice <laughs> things that happen to you. We were talking about ministering to young adults and kind of moving into Catholic maturity. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you write this stuff down. Who comes up with these things that come out of my mouth? Totally tweetable. <laughs> totally, I am totally tweetable, as are you, Lenny. I oh, hope thanks. someone's tweeting as they're listening. To this. Probably. So in that context, we were talking about the campus ministry setting, right? Yeah. Because you can have a really wonderful college campus ministry experience as a young adult. And I wish that for every young person who, who attends college. I wish that for them. But sometimes it's really nice and it's really an awesome four years. And then because you were just in this cocoon of that awesomeness, it's so hard to transition afterwards. Yeah. It, it actually make it more difficult. And I think that's something that we all, myself included, have a responsibility to equip young people with the capacity to see their faith as, again, more than just the nice things that happen to you, but as the anchor, as the rock on which you stand as something that transcends the nicest moments and even the darkest moments, something that infuses every part of who you are. And when I used to teach adult confirmation prep at the Archdiocese of Hartford, this is something I always try to exhort my confirmandi to, to consider is that what happens 
in the Christian life is an ongoing process of growth. It's a continuum of lifelong formation that nothing magical happens with one sacrament or another. You don't level up. You don't <laughs> reach peak. You, know, uh, you don't level up at confirmation, but that you are entering into a more adult faith the way you enter into different stages of your life. And that's a beautiful thing. And so as we walk with young people, we have to be cognizant of equipping them and identifying for them and, you know, just bringing to the light moments where your faith can grow beyond just the nice things that happen to you, but that it can be something that infuses every part of your life. And I think that's a big part of Christian maturity, just like emotional maturity or age maturity. Yeah. And it tells us about our mission as a church informing, especially young people, young adults, for this this richer, fuller, more foundational kind of commitment of the Catholic life. I've been talking to Nicole Perrone, the National Coordinator of the ESTEAM program, a faith-based leadership formation program for Catholic students at colleges and universities across the United States. Nicole, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. Thank you for having me, Lenny. It was a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. The Golden Rule. When you schedule a financial checkup with Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, our people will be helpful and honest and kind. They will look for ways to save you money, and when your checkup is complete, they will send $150 to Redeemer Radio. For more info, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.